We'll turn with me first of all to Daniel 7, and then hold, you can mark Acts 1, we'll come back to that. While you do, we continue to look for other places we can meet. Uh, hopefully this week we'll be able to get into Curry High School, much bigger space, heaps more chairs. So be praying for that. We might even be there next Sunday. So listen out uh, for a building change. And this year might be just, you know, musical buildings for most of the year as we see where the Lord lands us. But before I read the scriptures, I wanted to pray as a church for this other building, uh, the old Uniting Church that St. Philip's owns, uh, really compelled by the Lord to just be laboring in prayer over this, as it could be a place where we could be for generations, God willing, if that be His will. So join with me, I'm going to pray, then we're going to read the scriptures, and then we're going to pray for the preaching of the word. So, Gracious Lord, we come to you because you call us to ask. Uh, We do not have because we do not ask, and we are asking, God willing, according to your will, that your church would be planted here in this place for not a moment, but for generations. That it may be, if it be your will, that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren continue the work that we have started. We pray, Father, for Graham Irwin and St. Philip's Board, that they would be stirred uh, by the Holy Spirit. That as they once walked around buildings praying that you would give it to them for a school, that they would be sympathetic to others who are praying for a building as well. We pray, Lord, that they would be moved with compassion for us, a willingness to see the gospel go forth in other ways outside of the education system. We pray, Lord, that the other conversations that they may be having, if it be your will, that they may fall through, uh, that we would look like a good option to them. Lord, in the coming days and weeks, we pray that there would be an answer uh, or or more uh, ability to communicate. Would you help us to meet people who have connections in the school uh, or a number that we may be able to call and arrange a meeting? We pray, Lord, for your sovereign will to be had in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daniel 7 uh, is, is a long chapter, but it's a wonderful chapter. I'm going to read... To verse 18, and we're not going to preach it, preach it all, but I think it will help us understand Acts 1, 9 to 11 better. In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his, uh, visions of his head as he laid in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. 
After this I saw in the night a vision, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped and was left with its feet. It was di different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there, were, there came up among, among them another horn, a little one, before which, th uh, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, this horn... And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued, uh, issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked, then because of a sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to, the, to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their, their, their dominion were taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his, his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel... My, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. He told me, he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who will arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever. Uh, Kingdom forever, forever and ever. And to Acts. Acts 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he lifted up, he, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them. In white robes, and he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Holy Father, we thank you that we can come to your word. We thank you that it is magnificent and living. We thank you for the wonder of these scriptures, and we pray that our hearts and minds would be filled with the capacity to imagine spiritual places and spiritual things and the things that are going on in our midst in heaven, that we may have a heavenly confidence and a heavenly optimism of what you aim to achieve here on earth. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. 
Amen. Psalm 34 verse 2 says, Let the humble hear and be glad. The life that Christ has claimed for us is one of humble listening, which results in humble servanthood. John MacArthur, MacArthur said these two words describe the Christian life. Humble servant. This is what we are to be. I call us to examine our humility in terms of a willingness to hear and obey. That's what servants do. They hear the word of their master and they obey. They hear and they act. Which is what the book of Acts is about. The apostles are hearing from Christ for 40 days about his death, burial and resurrection, about how the law and the Psalms and the prophets are all about him. They're hearing about the kingdom of God. They've been listening to him for, for 40 days about the kingdom. And now they are to act. They are to listen and act. The challenge is that we endure in humble servanthood. That we last, that we finish the race in humble servanthood, that we don't get to 80 or 90 and grow tired of listening and acting. The Christian life is about change. 20 years from now, 30 or 40 years from now, there's still more change to be had in your life. You're going to hear something that causes your flesh to grate against it, and you are going to have to change and obey. And sadly, so many don't. So many don't. They apostate. They don't listen to the voice in the wilderness, as Hebrews tells us. But they have an evil and unbelieving heart in their midst. And they went well for 20 or 30 years or 40 years. And then they stopped acting upon what they're hearing. There could be a thought that you have. There could be an ideology. It could be an action that you're doing. It could be a way of speech. It could be a theological distinctive that you've held for 40 years and God is saying you're wrong and Christian you're called to humble servanthood to approach the word and say yes Lord change me and let me live your way even though I've been doing this for 50 years there's four pastors that have had significant influence in my life and and what I love about them is they're still changing. Doug Wilson at 70, when speaking about end times theology, he says there's still mystery in passages that I don't understand. He's been a pastor for 40 years. Steve Lawson at 72, been ministering for 40 years as well, says there's certain things that I still can't teach with authority on because I don't understand them. It's humility. John Piper at 78 says in his studies of 1 Peter, which I think we took six or seven months and he took a year and said, there are still things I don't understand in this book. Humility. But there's one that stuck, stuck with me most of all. Grace's granddad, Reverend Ken Short, at 83 years of old one morning, was having breakfast with us and he said, with wonder in his eyes, I was reading Acts 1-9 this morning. And I never noticed what was going on there. I never saw it. And with a giddiness and excitement, he 
exegetes this passage for me, going through the Old Testament. So in some ways, this sermon today is Ken Short's teaching at 83 years old as he was learning something new about his Saviour. Amen. I share this because I want us to be old and faithful. I want us to be Titus to old people. Older men still in the church teaching younger men. And older women still in the church teaching younger women. We want to be here. And we want to be devoted to God's word. And we want to still be showing these younger people in our midst, I'm willing to change. Because that is what a Christian's life is about. To change to the glory of God so that we look like Christ. Let us not become like the Galatians who who had said you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. May it be that when we are old, we'll be giddy with excitement when the word breaks new ground, shines new light on the path before us. And like Psalm 34, 2 says, may we be humble here and because we've heard, let us be glad. With that, let's get into Acts 1, 9. After he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was, he was lifted and a cloud took him out of their sight. One verse. One verse that we could ponder and imagine and explore as to what was really going on. Because that's, that's the material right there. That's what we see. But what was going on in the unseen world? As Christ was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight from the apostles. What we've seen so far is an introduction, which is very normal for a letter, an introduction of where are we going, what are we doing, Christ's Work and teaching has not finished. It's going to continue through the Holy Spirit by the apostles. But before we get to that work, the the acts of the apostles, we're going to do a little recap of Luke. And that's what we've been doing. That's what Tyler did last week. Luke is sort of overlapping here in chapter 1. And and there's some repeated things. Last week was commission, the promise of the Holy Spirit, uh, more of what what, what they are going to do. Uh, less of what they are doing at the moment. The next uh, section here continues finishing off the book of Luke. And we come to these three verses, and, and we could have just lumped them in with last week's verses, and we could have just put them in with next week's verses. But these three verses shape the apostles' teaching. These three verses are what their gospel sort of comes from. What we want to think about is how the ascension of Christ shapes the apostles' preaching of the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And following on from that, we are to ask the question, how does the ascension shape the gospel preaching of our day today? How are we to continue the work of the apostles and the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit with the ascension in mind. As I've already said, Jesus has spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about his death, burial, and resurrection, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and he's commissioning them. 
And his disciples asked last week, well, well, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when's your coronation? It's pretty handy that we just had a coronation last year, was it? Didn't really follow it. Uh, and, uh, and we see, you know, this big grand event that people are drawn to and want to watch. And, and there's glory. Uh, uh, there's glory there. There's power there. And, uh, and, and the disciples are essentially waiting for the coronation. When's the big party? When are we going to see something glorious? And we know that Jesus has already told them the kingdom of God is bigger than Israel. The kingdom of God is for the nations. His rule and reign is not limited to Israel only. His throne is not going to be on Israel or in Israel. It's going to be a coronation high above all other coronations, high above all the kings of earth. And the phrase, he was lifted, is declaring that. Just a simple phrase that he, yes, physically was lifted, but he was lifted up, pointing us one to his passion, that he was lifted up on a cross. And now, after being lifted up on the cross, he's being lifted up in glory, higher than the heavens. The heavens being the skies above. The heavens declare the handiwork of God and And Christ is being lifted above the handiwork of God. Above the sun, the moon and the stars. Beyond what the human eye can see or comprehend, He is being lifted above it all. He's being lifted up above creation and into the spiritual realm, the heavenly hosts. And this is what Jesus expected. In John, Jesus prayed... I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Where's Jesus being lifted up to? Glory. A glory that he has tasted, a glory that he has experienced, a glory that is with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. A glory that is so natural to him. So normal. In the ascension, he's being lifted to glory, a glory above all other glories. And glory being weightiness, heaviness. In other words, we could say, what sort of weight can this man carry? He carries it all. The whole earth. If the earth is glory, heavy, Jesus is more so. If the sun is glorious and heavy... Jesus is more so. He has been exalted. Hebrews, uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is what takes place in the ascension. We read Acts 1-9 and we hear that he is lifted. And we can so quickly skip past it through our materialistic mindset of going, oh yeah, Jesus just floated up to a nice happy place. No, he was being exalted. He was being glorified. He was showing that he is above earthly kings and heavenly beings. 
He was given a name greater than all earthly names, better than Father Abraham or Moses or Elijah, better than David, better than the kings of the empires that have conquered lands and won wars. Better still is his name. Greater in fame will it be than the name of Joshua. But every knee of heaven and every knee of earth will bow and confess that he is Lord. This is a fact. Every knee of heaven, demonic and angelic, and every knee of earth, both pagan, atheistic, agnostic, and Christian, will bow and confess what? Jesus is Lord. Lord. Not just that he's a kind, gentle saviour. Not just that he is a shepherd, but that he is Lord. The The weight of that word is to carry with us in the ascension. We are confessing when we say that he is Lord, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, which he declared himself. And if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, it is his to wield however he chooses. This is the ascension. He's ascending not just to heaven, but to the throne where all power and authority dwells. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is where Reverend Ken Short comes in. Excited, old man, sitting at breakfast, reading the word, and saying with joy, do you hear that? And I'm going, I'm 18, I know nothing. (laughs) A cloud took him out of their sight, he repeats. And he repeats it again, a cloud took him out of their sight, and I'm still not getting it. And he said, I've never noticed this. And he went on to explain all the times where God appeared as a cloud. In the Old Testament, we look and we see that the the world is not just stuff. A physical cloud passing by is created by God. Yet at times God uses physical creation to declare something about himself. To resemble his presence. He's a fiery chariot at times. He speaks in a wind at times. He comes in a cloud and the angels at times come as a cloud, a collective. What we must see is that the world has more going on than what we are just experiencing with our five senses. And if we don't believe that as Christians, then I don't know what, what, else, what else we can say other than you don't believe most of the scriptures. Let's look at a survey of the Old Testament, Exodus 13, 21 to 22. And the Lord went before them by, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So we see in the wilderness, God's people have been brought out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and they sort of need guiding, right? They need to be led. And God brings his presence down as a guide to them in a cloud by day and a fire by night. Later, the cloud fills the dwelling place of God. Leviticus 16.2, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. 
for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And later in the Psalms, Psalm 97 verse 2, clouds and thick, thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. There is no doubt that here as we look that Jesus is lifted up off the ground and a cloud takes him, or we could say receives him, it doesn't just cover the disciples' view. Sure, that, that, that may be what you, you want to hold to. That just Jesus was physically being lifted up and the disciples lost sight of him because a cloud just covered them. But I believe Peter, James and John would be expecting the cloud to consume them from what they experienced on the Mount Transfiguration. Luke 9, 34-35 After saying these things, a cloud came down, overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered, entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. The cloud comes down, or comes and overshadows Jesus. And the and Peter, James, and John on the Mount Transfiguration, and he and from the cloud the voice of God comes forth. As Peter, James, and John are standing, looking up at Jesus ascending, they're saying, We've been here before. We've seen this before. So what happened after the cloud received Jesus, took Jesus? That's all the apostles see. That's all our human senses experience. But what else took place? Well, remembering that the world is not just stuff and it's not just what our senses experience. There was a celebration in heaven. And we hear of this all throughout scripture. When when a, a soul is saved, there's a celebration in heaven. In Hebrews 12, it says that we worship today on the Lord's Day with a multitude of angels. Yeah, there's only 60 of us, 50 of us here. But we worship with a multitude of unseen angels who are declaring the praises of God routinely, repeatedly, consistently, always. And while... The apostles stood there 2,000 years ago and looked up to that cloud. Something was going on. Something more than what they saw was going on. And what was going on was a heavenly courtroom. Turn back to Daniel 7 with us. And we will unpack this for a little bit. Now to recap, without reading it all again, there are there are beasts, four beasts, and uh, they're representative of powers, they're demonic powers who represent each king of a certain kingdom. So wherever there, in the Old Testament, wherever there was a nation, there was a false god calling the shots over that nation. We see this in the dividing of the tongues and the power of uh, the, the Tower of Babel, uh, that, that every nation followed a false god. They had an idol that they worshipped. They saw miraculous things from that false god. Yet when God wanted to show his power over them, he did. Like at the prophets of Baal with Elijah, where they're, they're, the gods have a contest. And of course, God Almighty wins over the prophets of Baal. 
So these beasts are representatives of demonic powers and each of them would have an earthly king being their puppet uh, in, in the world, in the visible world. Notice we have thrones, meaning powers. They're, they're ruling nations. Those who control kings uh, uh, and, and these, these, these beasts deceive, deceive the nations and they have done for a millennia or millennia, multiple. And yet the Ancient of Days takes his seat. And the Ancient of Days, he is white in his appearance, white as snow, his hair is like wool, yet the glory that comes from his throne is fire. We've got some incredible pictures, imagine that. And around the Ancient of Days is a thousand thousands who serve him and ten thousand stood before him. This is quite the scene. The apostles are standing back. They're just looking up at the clouds. Jesus has gone from their view. He's been covered. And what's going on is a heavenly courtroom has taken place. A God at times calls the sons of men, the sons of God, to come and have a meeting. We see this in the book of Job. He calls the sons of God, which were these false gods, these demons, all around the world and he calls them together because he has sovereign authority over them and says we're going to have a meeting well here's his meeting I'm coming to judge you when Christ died on the cross something changed Christ broke the stronghold of all demonic powers and it says that they uh, in verse 12 as for the rest of the beast their dominion was taken away so these kings of the earth, their dominion was ruined, it was broken, yet they still live. Their life was prolonged for a season and a time. What we need to understand is the rule that Satan had pre-Christ's death and resurrection was different to what it is today. Back then they controlled nations and they ruled over whole people groups. Today, they are waiting to be invited back in. They're still at large. They're still uh, Satan's still roaring around like a like a lion looking for someone to devour, and and we can invite them back into our lives. Yet, being Christians, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit triumphs over all spiritual darkness. So, what takes place is Jesus has ascended in the clouds. There's a heavenly courtroom going on. The false gods are judged and the, the, the Son of Man is exalted, picking up in verse 13 of Luke 7. I saw in the night and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The false gods, the sons of God are judged. And the true son of God, the true God, the true God man, is exalted to dominion, glory, and a kingdom. While the beasts are stripped of their power, the son of God is exalted to absolute power and an eternal everlasting kingdom. And it says down in verse 18, that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Repeating it three times, forever, forever and ever. Who's going to have the kingdom? 
the saints of the Most High. In the ascension, we are declaring Christ's lordship over all spiritual and physical things. Every people, every nation, every tongue shall serve him. Not just Israel. The remotest parts of the earth in the tiniest tribe with a language no one understands and cannot translate, Christ is king there today. Christ Jesus has dominion there. He has dominion on the streets of Newcastle, the streets of Curry, the streets of Brankston, in the darkest streets of Sydney, and as far as the eye or mind can imagine, Christ rules today. His authority transcends language, skin color, and culture. His kingdom alone is everlasting. And this, saints, is good news. This is the gospel, that Christ Jesus is king. Well, that seems straightforward, that he is king. We don't seem to see it in the gospel preaching of our day. In a huge, multi-million dollar ad ran in the Super Bowl last Sunday, the gospel of He Gets Us was proclaimed. An ad that showed picture after picture of someone washing another person's feet. A white person washing a black person's feet. Lesbian washing the lesbian partner's feet. Someone washing a lady's feet out the front of an abortion clinic. And so on and so forth. I think you get the picture. It ends with, Jesus didn't teach hate. The point was to say that Jesus accepts everyone as they are, right? That's the point. Now the truth is, Jesus does get us. He actually says this in John 2, 25 and 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about them. For he himself knew what was in man. Very next chapter, everyone needs to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, everyone needs to put to death their old life in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus does get us. He says that we are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. He says that we are depraved in our sin and dead in our transgression. And he knows what it takes to save someone like that. It takes his death. And in the washing of the feet story, in John 13, 7 and 8, Jesus says this to Peter. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The washing of the feet is not something we can brand around as a way of saying Jesus is all accepting of every person. Because he says directly to Peter, If I do not wash you, you have no share of me. If I don't remove your vile, sinful disobedience from you, you cannot be my disciple. 
He also says that you won't understand the washing of the feet until after. And then, if we know John, John well, John 13 is, is a long teaching in the upper room right up until Jesus goes to his passion. They won't understand until he dies. The gospel of he gets us is interesting. You can look up the website if you'd like. Probably no point. But the He Gets Us campaign website, as I looked through it, spent about half an hour looking through it, not once was Jesus referred to as Lord. Not once. Is that interesting? When the New Testament records that Jesus is Lord over 800 times. And Peter, when he preaches his first sermon at Pentecost, Acts 2.36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ. And the house of Israel that is present know exactly what those words mean and they bow in submission and say, what are we to do, brothers? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Turn away from who you are. Forget your old life. Put off the old person and wash yourself in the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Become a new man, a new woman in Christ Jesus. The gospel doesn't need a modern reshaping. It just needs to be preached faithfully, without apology. What are we trying to get people to confess? Romans 10.9 If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What are we getting people to confess? Jesus is Lord. He has all authority. He tells you what you can and can't do. That's what Jesus gets to do. He tells you that some clothes are immodest. Some behaviors for a woman are are, are unholy. Some behaviors for a man are unholy. He tells you... That marriage is between a man and a woman, and that children are a blessing. He tells us that we can't think this way and we should think another way. This is the Lordship of Christ. This is what it means for us to be Christians. Well, that was verse 9. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote 2,000 words on verse 9 and then didn't know what to do with the rest. But here we go, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? We don't know how much time has passed here. We don't know how long the the disciples are are looking, but you get this sense that they're waiting for a bit more. Like us, when we read verse 9, we're a little disappointed uh, that it, it's just Jesus is lifted up and a cloud covers him and we've got to turn the page back to Daniel 7 and forward to Philippians 2 to find out oh, what, what took place, what happened. But the apostles know that they have been taught by Jesus for the last 40 days. They know that Jesus was going to be lifted up. They know that the kingdom was not here of this earth, that it was going to be for the nations. Yet they stand there still looking up into the heavens, waiting to the point where angels come and rebuke them. 
Why are you looking into the heavens? The obvious answer is, well, Jesus just went there, right? They must have been frustrated at some point with the question, but the point the angels were making is, you've heard from Christ, he's taught you, now go, go and act. Stop staring into the sky, go as he told you to go, and do the work that he has called you to do. There is a question for us here as well. Are we just standing around looking for Jesus? Or are we doing the work that Jesus has called us to? There's so many people that are just every day hoping that the rapture happens tomorrow. Rather than laboring in what Christ has called us to do. Every day they're hoping that Jesus would just return today. But do the scriptures really give a greater weight to life here on earth, to life in the kingdom? In some ways, yes, but life here is a blessing and we have work to do. And to be taken from this work early is is a sad thing. It's a grievous thing. Even in the scriptures, it's grievous. We don't want to lose our life here. We want to be able to be faithful by continuing the teaching of Christ to the nations, as the apostles did and as we are called to do as well. Jesus should be our focus. It tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. But where are we fixing them? Are we fixing them on King Jesus, who says my dominion and power will go forth to the nations? Or are we fixing them on a Jesus who's just going to save us from the burdens and anxieties of our and the pressures of our life? Because one is selfish, and the other is a focus on the glory of God. So I think for most, the reason people want Jesus to return is they're just can't handle the pressure of life. What we need is to fix our eyes on Jesus and Jesus had his eyes on his kingdom that was coming. It was near to him and it's nearer than it was when he was here on earth. Today we are working towards the kingdom of God being established on earth. The angels finished in a remote community. When he comes again, he comes as king to his people with victory and judgment. You will know when the king returns. So focus on his kingdom. Hebrews 9, 26, 28 says, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's happened. And just as he is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's eagerly wait for him while we go to work. Church, eagerly wait for your king as a humble servant who hears and obeys and calls others to repent from their disobedience and submit to Christ as Lord. That is our job. That is what we are to herald. Christ is Lord of his kingdom and it is the only everlasting kingdom. Repent and believe in him. Repent and be washed by him. Let's pray.
O Ancient of Days, we, we ask, Lord, that you would give us a greater revelation, greater capacity to imagine the heavenly things, that, that it would fuel us with a fear of you and a great desire to go forth and proclaim your kingdom and the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. May we call those to obedient submission. The good news of the gospel is that Christ is Lord. He's Lord today, tomorrow, and forever, forever and ever. Pray this in Jesus' name.